Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Are you, oh, there I am. You able to hear me? Now, my voice is not 100%, so you may have to keep me a little, a little loud here. I'll, if you see me, uh, <laughs> if you see me uh, starting to drop the microphone, you need somebody to get my attention, and I'll get it close to my mouth here. All right, it is, it is good to be here speaking before you this morning. Let's go ahead and start with the word of prayer, and let's get right into it. Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you, Lord, for your anointing. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for worship. Thank you, Lord, for this word. And I pray that it, it comes clearly and affects people's hearts today, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, we're going to start off in Philippians 4. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. Before I get into that, though, I want to... Um, Kind of tell you a little bit of, I've kind of been li living this sermon the last three weeks or so. With our rotation of preaching, I should have spoken about three weeks ago. Um, really annoying uh, virus got in the way. And, uh, but here I am at this point. But you know, all through that, God had, God has his right timing. And there were, you know, the messages that I'm thinking, okay, well, I was supposed to speak this week and, you know, delaying it one week at a time. It, those messages have been great messages and really on time. I really believe that. I believe we had uh, Pastor Chad talking about John 3.16 and what's ahead of us and Eddie telling us to get in the fight. And Tracy speaking last week on those things you feel that have kept you prisoner and are holding you back from doing ministry and doing what you know to do. And that. I firmly believe God had his timing for each of those things, each of those weeks. So Philippians 4, 10 through 13. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every, any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. That Philippians 4.13, and I have to uh, set some context here because Paul's writing to the Philippian church, and he's not in Philippians, he's, he's elsewhere, and they have sent him offerings. And he's thanking them for the offering, but also explaining to them that he knows how to be content, whether he has a lot or whether he's lacking. Whatever situation he's in, he has learned how to be content. And that is the focus of this message, the title, Content in Christ. But I have to speak on Philippians 4.13 for a second because this is one of the most common, taken out of context, used for everything verses, bumper sticker t-shirt kind of Christianese verse that gets stuck everywhere. And too many people over the years have taken this verse and tried to do something in their, their own idea, their own strength, and they stick, well, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things and take off and try to do something on that they thought of, and then it fails and they get mad at God. 
And I really want to nail down the context here. Paul is saying this verse in context of being able to endure what you have to go through to do what God wants you to do. Whether that's have plenty or, or have lack or any of that, this is what God gives you the strength to do what he's called you to do. Not to create your own thing and then take off and try to make it happen and then get mad at God when it doesn't. We all clear on that. So, what does it mean be content? Be good to define it if I'm going to speak on it. Content is a state of peaceful happiness or also defined as a state of satisfaction. I'm at peace. I'm satisfied. I'm happy. And in this context, regardless of the situation, regardless of the circumstances or situations, now, I want to touch on, because when some people say content, there's kind of a mindset out there that says, I'll never be content because then you'll just settle for where you are and you'll never grow. That's not what we're talking about here. Of course, Paul, Paul was a hard worker. He was always pushing the church forward. This, this guy was not slacking. We're not talking about a content that just says, I'm fine where I am, and I'm just going to be lazy and not try to move forward. No, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a content is going through things and yet is in a state of being peaceful and a state of satisfaction. Just a little example, the last few weeks when I feel like, well, I'm supposed to be giving my, a message, but yet I had this peace that it, that wasn't the right week. Like I knew, okay, that's not right. And this week, even with several things that have gotten in my way, I knew this was the week to speak. So, so even with things not going smoothly or not seemingly not unfolding the way I think they should, I just have this piece. I know even the, to, very, to this very morning, I know this is the week to speak this message. And I have peace even when it's not easy. That's great. But what stops us from being there? I mean, that, that seems like a great place to just live in that peace of through all the circumstances. But some, something is wrong because that is not natural to us. So what's getting in the way? I'm going to suggest several different directions that you could go with this verse. For this message, though, we're going one specific direction. Our desire. Our desires, what I want, what I need, what I think I deserve, what I expect. I'm going to just take all of that label that desires. And let's look at James 1.13. The world's going to tell you, chase your desires. The world's going to tell you that that's where your happiness is, is when you satisfy your desires. The world even believes in why we see, and forgive me, I'm not trying to be political or anything, but I just want to be make sure people are informed. When you see socialism, communism, humanism, all of that, humanism teaches. Humanism is the worship of human beings instead of God. Very common in our education system, very common in our media, very common throughout Hollywood, uh, our politics now, sadly, humanism, worship of our ability, not God. 
Humanism teaches human beings are basically good. And the only reason that we have evil or that we see evil is because people have un unsatisfied needs. And the belief is if you could just have some central authority and take all the resources and distribute them to meet everybody's needs, you will do away with evil and you will cure mankind of all wrongs. That is a fundamental, I can't even tell you how intricately woven into humanism that is. And that's why you, if you wonder, why do people support some of these ideas of socialism, communism, all the bad history with those? It, it's, it's a key tenet to their religion, as, as key as any theology is to us, is that you could cure mankind if you can just meet our needs. That's not true. We are not that reasonable. We are. We don't work that way. You can satisfy our needs, and we'll still want what somebody else has. James one thirteen through fifteen. When tempted, no one should say, "God is tempting me." That's a that's a revelation right there. Uh, some have said the, theologically. Uh, God's testing me by, by tempting me with sin. Nope, it's not scriptural. God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. This is written... To the church. James is writing this to the church. This is a warning to us. And if that if this is the human condition, which it is, this is not something that you can cure by human effort. You cannot trust your own desire. It sounds so it sounds so simple, and yet it is such a key concept that we as Christians have to understand. In, in our own personal life, it, oh, sure, in big global or society policies, yes, but also in our very own lives, we cannot trust our own desires. I want to talk about a familiar story. That actually is point number one of my outline. I should announce it. You cannot trust your own desires. I want to go to a familiar story, David and Bathsheba. Probably familiar to a lot of us, but let me run through it and make sure we're all on the same page. So, King David, from the Old Testament, almost exactly 3,000 years ago, he's king over Israel. We know him as a, as a youth, he kills Goliath. We know there's that time where he's anointed king, but Saul's trying to kill him, and then he gets to the point where he is king. And he sends his military out, and they're fighting the Amorites. And he stays home. And he goes up on his roof of his palace, and he looks out, and he sees a woman bathing, taking a bath. And he lusts after her. He desires her. He brings her into his palace. He gets her pregnant. And there's a problem, because she's married. She has a husband. Her husband is Uriah the Hittite. And David realizes, okay, this is a problem. So he calls Uriah back home and says, uh, take a break from the war, go back home, spend some time with your wife, 
thinking Uriah will think the child is his. This will cover up my sin. Uriah is such a faithful soldier. He says, no, 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 I'm not going to go home and be comfortable while my other soldiers are, are out there fighting. I'll, I'll just stay at the palace until you send me back. But I, won't, I will not go home and, and be comfortable or uh, enjoy pleasure while, while the army's fighting. Very, a, a noble soldier. So David realizes he's going to take this additional step. He sends Uriah back, and he sends secret orders to set up Uriah's death. His group will go forward, and then all of them except him will retreat, and he'll be killed by the Amorites, and David will take his wife as his own. And that's what happens. It's easy to kind of think, okay, well, who's this Uriah guy? Uriah the Hittite is, was one of David's 30 mighty men. This was not just a random soldier. This was a guy who had been faithful to David when David was still running from Saul, when David was still trying to, when, when, Dave, when it wasn't even popular to be loyal to David. Uriah was loyal to David. This, this was a close, brothers-in-arms kind of thing, and he wronged Uriah badly. This is an ugly, ugly, ugly sin. Sin on top of sin. And we know that then Nathan the prophet comes to David. Because this is not going to go unnoticed by God. Not at all. It, it is not okay. Nathan the prophet shows up and tells David this story of, uh, well, there's this wealthy person who has a lot of sheep. And he had a guest come over. And uh, he stole a sheep from this poor person. And that's all a poor person had. And he stole that person's sheep and killed it and had it for dinner with him and his guest. And David is furious. He is outraged. He demands that rich person will pay back four times what he's stolen from that, from that poor person. Isn't it interesting how somebody else's sin looks so big in our eyes, but our own sin, we just seem to, it's not that big. It's, it's small, right? I didn't do something that bad, but somebody else's sin, oh, I just can't believe them. Can you believe that they did that? He's mad over sheep, and he just had one of his most loyal friends killed. And he's mad over sheep. Second Samuel 12, verse 7. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Meaning that he was the one. He's, you are that rich person who stole from, who had a lot but stole from somebody else. You are that man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if this had not had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword will never depart from your house, because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. I want to point out here, there's a lot we can say about where David went wrong. But God focuses on something I think is very interesting here. He starts telling David, look what I did for you. Look at the position I put you in. 
I delivered you from Saul. I gave you your master's house. I gave you your master's wives. I gave you all of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have given you more. I just hear God's heart crying out, why were you not content with what I gave you? If you had been content with all these blessings I had given you, it would have protected him from sin. Yes, he, he, may, he, maybe he should not have stayed home. Maybe he should have gone with the troops. Maybe he should not have been up on the roof. We can say all of that, but if that, in his heart, if he had been content and said, wow, look what all God has done for me, it would have shielded him. might have been awkward what he saw on the roof, but then it, he, he would not have acted on that. Point number two, do not forget what God has done for you because contentment can protect us from sin. I want to give you a little bit of real-life examples. And some of these situations are sensitive, so I'm going to be very careful what I say publicly, but I'm only going to share public information. I've seen people who had a pretty good life going really mess it up. Growing up in church, going to Christian school, all of that, people who should have it together and who really messed it up. And I mean going to Christian high school and having one of the teachers on the nightly news because he's going to jail because he had an affair with an underage girl in the high school. I mean, that level of, seemed like a great guy, had a great wife and kids, that kind of messing up. And I'm pretty sure he did not wake up one morning and say, what am I going to do today? I'm just going to really wreck my life. That's what I'm going to do today. It doesn't it doesn't start off like that. It starts off subtly, starts off with desire, then it moves to sin, and then it moves to death or destruction. I've, I've known ministers who've lost their faith, who have had affairs, cheated on their wives. There are things that have happened in Christian circles that should never have happened, and they all started with some desire and not being content with what God had already blessed them with. And I would, I would say comfortably, I don't expect anything like that to happen here with, any, with anybody here. But I didn't expect those things to happen either, and they still did. So let, let us be on our guard against, against our desires. Because wouldn't Satan love to derail what we're trying to do here? Wouldn't he just, wouldn't he just love you? Wouldn't he just look for an opportunity to derail us? We need to be on guard. We need to be conscious of what God's already blessed us with. That gives us perspective to help manage our desires when we're, oh, I, I have this feeling, I have this desire, but wait, look look what God's already blessed me with. Look look where I am. Hold on, I, I, can't, I can't do that. A really simple example, Adam and Eve. Genesis 3, 6. Did Adam and Eve have some sort of need that was going to cause them to that God had not met or was there did they have were they in a bad situation where they were just going to sin no they were in they were in a great situation they were in the garden of eden uh, there's there's no hard work everything you just had to maintain the garden and it provided everything for you and there's just one thing though just any of that one tree of knowledge but everything else is great Everything else is, is uh, all these blessings around. Everything, everything's great, but 
Genesis 3, 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also, what? Desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Despite all of God's blessings, we will not be content unless we choose to be. God could give us everything we want. We will not be content unless we choose to be. There's not really anything else he could have left Adam and Eve with. But they still wanted the one thing he said, don't touch. It was because it was desirable. There's a lot that it's easy in the Christian life to say, well, I would be content. I would be happy and content if God would just answer this one prayer. Or it could be a relationship, it could be a physical healing, it could be a financial provision, anything. Fill in the blank with whatever it is that, you, that, that comes to mind when I say that. I, I would be content if God would just do this one thing. Honestly, no you wouldn't. I know I can say that because I'm guilty of that. I ha- how many times I have said, God, if you would just, uh, my, my focus is just consumed with this one thing. God, if you would just meet this need. And he did, and I moved on to something else that I needed. I wasn't content. I, I've uh, had to reflect on that recently and go, God, thank you, for, thank you for those things that you met 10 years ago that I apparently didn't appreciate. Uh, thank you for because I just moved on to something else that I was worried about let's remind ourselves of what he's done it can protect us from sin it can make us grateful it can give us perspective now it would not do if I was talking about being content and I did not talk about chasing after the things of this world because that's very tempting what the world's always telling us chase after things this will make you content instead of God so we're talking about things that we might chase after in place of God. Will those make us content? Revelation 3, chapter 3. This is the church in Laodicea. This is what's known as the lukewarm church, where we get the lukewarm concept of being lukewarm. And indulge me a bit here, but I, um, I think sometimes that term is misused. At least, at least how I've grown up in church hearing it used, it's usually, oh yeah, lukewarm. That's that person that, uh, you know, one foot in the world, one foot in the church. Uh, they're on the fence. And just in my experience, I've seen it, that label stuck on people who maybe sometimes are just a new believer or just sometimes they, they just kind of seem worldly, even though they're showing up to church, but they just maybe how they dress or act or talk. Well, they're kind of worldly. Uh, they, they don't quite do church right. Like maybe they don't wear the nice clothes, or maybe they don't. They don't seem like they're just really plugged in the church. They kind of seem on the fence. That's not how it's used for this church. Church in Revelation, and I, re- I recommend reading the whole section for Laodicea. But it says in seventeen, Revelation three seventeen, you say, "I am rich. I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing." That sounds like contentment. But there's a problem because they're content in the wrong things. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. 
I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you will become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. What's he talking about here? If you study the uh, church history, the churches, seven churches of Revelation, this church was extremely wealthy. They were known for having very fancy buildings, they had very nice clothes, and they, they produced a lot of salves and lotions and medications, a lot luxury goods. It wasn't necessarily a church that just didn't know how to do church right. They actually would look very impressive in their church, their buildings. Uh, their city was harmed by, uh, was damaged by an earthquake, and they turned down Roman help and just rebuilt it themselves because they were so wealthy. Uh, they complained that the uh, Roman aqueduct produced uh, lukewarm water because it was so far. It was such a long stretch of aqueduct, and they complained the water was lukewarm, which is what Christ ends up comparing them to. You know how much you hate that water? That's how. That's how you taste the meat. Because they why? Because they had become content in material wealth, and they had not pursued the reason he calls them gold refined in the fire. Calls them that they should buy gold refined in the fire, white clothes. These are references to being clothed in righteousness. So knowing the difference between sin and righteousness. If you're blind, it's because you don't have the word to see. He talks about them needing oil. It says salve or oil to put on your eyes. That's the re- reference to the Holy Spirit. They were lacking key things from the church. They were lacking preaching about sin. They were lacking the word. They were lacking the Holy Spirit but they had substituted, they had become content with material wealth. A very dangerous thing for us to do. Something we really want to watch out for. They had missed the very things that they needed. Luke 16, 25. This is the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Honestly, it's one of the scariest verses to me. Um... So the rich man, and there's a rich man, wealthy person, there's a guy named Lazarus who is a beggar. Not necessarily the same Lazarus that was raised from the dead. We have a common name. This is a different Lazarus. He sits out in front of the house and begs, and the rich man lives in comfort, and Lazarus is in is suffering. Then they both die. Lazarus goes to Abraham's bosom, a place before heaven. Before heaven was accessible, the righteous went to a holding place called paradise or Abraham's bosom. And the rich man went to hell. And they, were, they could see each other in those different places. So the rich man had cried out to Abraham, Hey, I'm suffering. Send Lazarus to dip his finger in water and touch it to my tongue, because I am, I am suffering here. Verse 25, But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. No amount of satisfying our desires in this life is worth losing out on eternity. I know it's tempting to be comfortable. We're, we're, we're used to a certain comfortable life in our cultures when you compare us to other countries, other times in history. We have a lot of comfort. Be careful that we don't get stuck in that. What we've been hearing before, I feel like the uh, microphone has been a preaching baton We've been passing from uh, this morning. 
So we, this is the message this morning is to trust God went through things that are getting tough. And uh, that may mean being uncomfortable. And if our eyes, our desires are set on being comfortable, that's going to be a problem for us. So point number three in my outline is do not become content with things in this life. So what do we do? Here's some things not to do we've already talked about. We've already talked about don't trust your desires. And don't forget what God's done for you. And don't become content with things in this life. So what, what should we do instead? We need, how do we reconcile our needs and desires and our walk with God? Matthew chapter 6. I've got a couple of passages here. Matthew 6, 7 and 8. This is, and the point of I'm, reason why I'm reading these verses is we need to get to the point where we're trusting God with our needs and desires. And that means sometimes what we think is a need is not really a need to Him. He may have us endure something for a while. We think, hey, I can't, I, I can't tolerate this, having this unmet need. That's like, you really, really need to. You really need to uh, endure this for a while. This is for your good. Matthew chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Well, that is, He already knows our needs before we pray. I mentioned last week I was doing the offering. Um, that very morning, I had had a, I had one. Uh, I was taking medication. I had one pill left, and I dropped it. Couldn't find it, and uh, I just looked in some of the older bottles to clean them out of the cabinet, and there was one left from an older bottle that I that I didn't plan at all. I didn't even know it was there. God had provided that before I even knew I had a need. That's a small example, but hey, I, I see God in those small examples. Continuing in Matthew 6, with verse 31. So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All these things will be given to you as well. This is how you can get to the point of being content. This is how we need to, and, and believe me, I'm preaching this message to myself as much as anybody. This is how we get to contentment. Point number four, contentment is when God is bigger to you than any desire or need. But I have these desires. I want certain things in my life. I have these needs. I need these certain things. But God's bigger than all of that. He may say no to some things that we want. In fact, Given how evil our desires are, we should expect that he's going to say no to our desires. And that's a good thing. That's healthy. Sometimes he's going to have us endure some needs and he's going to build in us. Remember, this life, he's building certain things in us for the work that we're going to do in eternity. And for the rewards that we're going to get in eternity. He's put, this life is a preparation for that. So there's going to be some things that he's going to build. There's going to be some things he's going to teach us to endure 
that is good for us that will not be comfortable in this life. Trusting God is trusting that God is more than our belief in what we need. Now I want to circle back to Philippians 4. Again in verse 12. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. So this is the, the secret, and I love how Paul says, this is, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Oh, he knows the secret. Hey. So he's going to give us a 12-step plan to get there, right? Or a three-day seminar. Learn the secret of how to be content in every situation. And he gives us one verse. I can do all, all this for him who gives me strength. Wait, what? Like, come on, Paul. Give me a little more detail, right? A little more. It's, it's, it is actually that simple. I can, do all, I, can in, I can endure these things that he's asked me to endure because he gives me the strength to do it. Wow. It's simple, yet it's hard for us. It's contrary to our nature. So I'm going to ask you to think about what it is that you desire. And I mean, they may be good desires, but there are things that people have that are so big in their eyes that they can't see what God's doing. It can happen. It can be uh, someone desiring to be married, someone desiring to have kids but not able to, someone... Uh, wanting to do good things in the church, but it's just not the right time or not the right situation for them. Wanting to do ministry, uh, it, it can it can be things that sound so good, but if they're if they become this big idol and you can't see what God's doing, what God's leading you in, those those can lead us astray, and those will steal our contentment. Or we're not able to be content. Hey, this happened hasn't happened in my life yet. It's okay. Are you walking in God's will? Because if you are, then that's fine. Wait on His timing for, for whatever that is to happen. Or if it's something where you are discontent and you're tempted to do sin, maybe you're discontent in your marriage and you're tempted to commit adultery, don't do that. Don't do that. I know that sounds simple, but sometimes people just need to hear that. Something that simple. Don't do that. It will not make you happy. People do people do horrible things to try to be happy and 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 still fall short. You're still not happy. I want to read this last verse that really struck me, and I really hope it applies to you. And Ryan, if you want to go ahead and get the team up, this really. I want to make sure I, I get this right because, yeah, I can talk about the, the big sins. You know, even something as simple as gossip comes out of desires. We say something bad about somebody else to someone else because we desire to look good. We put them down to make ourselves look better. Even, even sins as simple as, as gossip, which is actually the Bible treats very harshly. We tend to take it kind of lightly. The Bible is very harsh about it. And keep in mind, something like gossip, 
Slander is saying something false about somebody. Gossip is saying something true about somebody. But if you're saying then, if you're saying it to someone else to tear that person down, both end up being sin, even if it's true. Whatever sin we're tempted in, there is some, some, for some reason, we're not content in the Lord. There's something we think is missing and we're trying to fulfill it in sin. And I just want to take this opportunity. I'll, I'll go through this last verse in James 4, and I'm going to ask that you kind of consider and you ask God to show you, is there something in your life you think is unfulfilled that is a, a danger, something that's causing you to lose your contentment and not be peaceful, not be happy? Is there something that's tempting you that's, that's dangerous to you? You could contemplate that. James 4, 1 through 5. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Remember, this is written to a church. They're having fights inside the church. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, the battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. And Jared, if you want to go ahead and bring the house lights down. So I want to ask you, and I know this is a short message, but I, I, I'm not even worried about that because I know the Lord gave, I, uh, he woke me up like extra early Friday morning, just handed me the outline after me spending three weeks trying to figure it out. He just hands it to me one morning. And sometimes a uh, short, direct message is the, is the memorable one. It gets the point across. So if we're having, if we're having problems, fights, quarrels, because we're not content and our desires are fighting against us. The desire to, I want, I want some sort of affirmation, I want attention, it's powerful. So that all needs to be submitted to the Lord. What that, that we're doing, what we're supposed to be doing, we're doing what we're called to be doing. I'm going to go ahead and say a word of prayer. And if anybody wants to come up for prayer, I'm happy to pray for you. Eddie and the other elders here, happy to pray for you. If you want to sit in your seat and have a little time with God and just say, hey, what uh, what desires do I have in me that feel unsatisfied that are keeping me from being content? Let's take a little time and pray about this. Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this message. Thank you that you, thanks for handing it to me during a time where I was too sick to, in the natural, I wouldn't even be up here, Lord, but you gave me the strength to even be up here this morning. And you have a purpose for this, and I thank you, Lord, for that. And I ask you, Lord, to touch our hearts, Lord, with expose those desires that are stealing our contentment that are not allowing us to be at peace and be happy in you. I ask you, Lord, this in Jesus' name. Amen.
struggling and I think that this is that this is I mean, a spot on message for, for me and everything I was going through but I think that there's something that we're all um, uh, desiring and feeling a need for right now which is security and safety you know with everything that's going on in this world there is this innate like habit of ours I think to feel a little bit of fear even though it hasn't you know we can think to ourselves well it hasn't reached you know us just yet or we think okay well you know we can remind ourselves God's got it under control but there's still this feeling that that you know we we think okay but we're not not safe and that's how I was feeling over this past week I just was feeling this horrible of it actually I was Joseph and I were praying over it because I would just be overcome with this horrid feeling of dread and I didn't know where it was coming from and I kept trying to figure it out and I kept like asking God like okay God like where is this coming from what does it mean and what do I have to do and I just sometimes I can get really caught up in the mystery of things and I like to solve problems and mysteries and so I can really get caught up in that I'm going to figure this out and then I'm going to do what I have to do um, to fix this and if you and I, I actually went to work uh, one day talking to uh, my, my, my boss about this and she was like you know, I'm noticing one pattern here is you keep saying that you want to figure it out that you want to fix this that you want to find out what you have to do it's like why do you need to do any of that and I was like oh good point and so I went home that day and I was I was praying I was like God I was like I was like what do I I was like do I need to do anything and I thought the Lord just say I was like because I was like God I don't feel safe in my home I don't know what's causing it I don't know where it's coming from but I just feel I don't feel safe and I thought the Lord just say to me does it matter does it matter where it's coming from does it matter what's causing my my insecurity does it matter what's threatening me outside because it doesn't matter because he's going to take care of it all and I don't have to figure out why it's why it's scaring me I don't have to figure out what I need to do I don't need to feel safety and satisfaction or protection from anything that comes from me or this world I mean it's even going so far as to be like Joseph we need to get like a security system that has a camera I need to make sure we're like you know always, and, I was just, and not that stuff's not bad you know it's okay to have security systems in your home but but the fact that that was what I was feeling that could only satisfy my, my need for safety and God was just like stop it you don't need that it doesn't matter where it's coming from if you can give um, everything from finances to to relationships to me why can't you give me fear hand your fear over to me because it doesn't matter where it's coming from God is going to take care of it he is going to help you he is going to fix this I'm not I didn't fix it and all I did I just said okay God I'm done I don't care where it's coming from I don't care what started it because there's one thing that we do know is that no matter what you know the individual little thing might be causing something one thing we do know is that it all comes from the enemy and if it does not come from God then it's it's not of him and that means that he's got all the power over it he's got all the say and authority over everything and so I don't have to be afraid I don't have to need security from anyone else because I have the best security system in the world and that is that is God that is my my holy the holy spirit my guardian angels that is everything that he provides for me nothing that I got on my own nothing that I figured out or that I um, that I fixed on my own and I just wanted to encourage you guys that in this time of uncertainty where we really don't know what's going to happen in the next couple of years it doesn't matter because God's got a plan and he's got you and he has everything that you need whether that is safety or food or (laughs) 
clothing, and no matter it doesn't matter what it is, it could be something as as minute as that or something as big as I need you to come down and just be with me right here, right now, because I'm so just broken by everything in this world, and He's got it. He's got you uh, in His hands, and He's got it under control. And I'm reiterating a little bit, but I just feel like that is just that's the point that God had to reiterate with me over and over again this past week. I've got it under control, and you don't need to worry. And in fact, when I woke up the next day, um, I opened up my my devotion and the title of my devotion that day was don't worry <laughs> and uh, so that's what I want to encourage you guys today don't worry because God's got a plan and he's going to take care of it all thank you so much for sharing that She was speaking. You know, there are we're, we as a church. We're taking on uh, a lot. The new building, our plans here, and with what's going on around us. Can I just say I have a sense of peace that there is nothing that can stop us as long as we're doing what God's called us to do. We can do all things through Him who gives us strength. The only thing that can stop us is if we start acting out of our own desires and we derail what he's doing. Just that. If we're, we're following him, nothing will stop us. Let's, let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Thank you for the testimony of you bringing peace in the middle of fear. Thank you, Lord, for this group of believers. Ask your protection, your blessing on them. In Jesus' name, amen.